Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your presence. We, we acknowledge, Holy Spirit, that you are not only among us, but with us and in us. So we, we, take, we, we take consciousness of, of your presence and your willingness to speak, to move, to do what you want to do and what you do best is answer question, minister to our heart, and open our eyes that we may see and understand your word and know you better. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me to teach tonight with all simplicity and all clarity that even a child could understand. And I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, tonight I have it on my heart to, um, to actually minister something I've not ministered before, more or less. Um, because I see, as I, I, I see things, strategies of the enemy is how he's trying to to rob people of their faith, how he's trying to rob believers, you and I, of God's promises and our inheritance. And some of his strategy is that he's rendered, he's rendered the church passive, subdued, passive, and silent. Si uh, si silent, yeah. yeah. And, and so... If I had to give a message, a title to the message tonight, I would say the violent take it by force. You and I, we need to get back to that place where we become violent for God once again. And I know when we talk about violent, we automatically think it means starting to scream, starting to move, starting to, you know, get aggressive. And so we're going to discover that it's not that at all. I mean, the Bible even says, you remember in Matthew 11, verse 12, Jesus said the kingdom of God has suffered violence, but it's the violent that take it by force. And, you know, one of the thing of the kingdom of God, when Jesus, you know, would heal the sick, he would say, you know, the kingdom of God is near you, who has come upon you. You know, healing the sick and getting a hold of God's promises is part, you know, ruling and reigning, exercising authority is part of the kingdom of God. Amen. Bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. Do you understand what I'm saying? But here is the problem, and I see most of the Christian today, they are not walking in the kingdom of God or inheriting the promises of God or walking in the authority because of a passive attitude. And I mean here in this college, Carey's Bible College, which is a college about grace, right? There is also that tendency when we talk about grace, you know, we automatically have that notion that grace, you've got to, you know, it's already been done. Everything has been done. God is all given everything, and he has. And, and what I see is oftentimes people have a tendency of becoming passive. Because after all, God has done it all. And, you know, even when we talk about, you know, wait upon the Lord, you know, or we talk about entering the rest, we all automatically think, well, it means we do nothing. We are being passive. When in reality, waiting upon the Lord or entering the rest is everything but passive. 
Amen. And so we're going to talk about tonight what does it mean to take the, the kingdom of God, you know, the violent, take it by force. What does it mean to be violent? And I'm talking in the spirit because you see, the people have a hard time to make a difference about the physical realm and the spirit. Because automatically we think violent means being violent. You've got to scream, move, do something. And we automatically think physical, you know, physical violence. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a spiritual violence. You know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our violence should never be against people. But you and I know that our violence should be against the forces of darkness, against evil. Amen? And so I looked at the word violent or violence. And in the dictionary it says, using force to cause harm or damage to someone or something. Well, we all know that we should cause damage and harm to the kingdom of darkness. Yes? Hallelujah. Another definition is trying to attack someone or something because of anger. So we discover that violence means that you are attacking or doing harm to the kingdom of darkness and it's motivated by anger. Hallelujah. And did you notice that in the Bible, all the people that got a hold of their miracle, they were violent people. Yeah, they were. I mean, look at it. Look at the guy. You remember the, the, the blind man on the side of the road? He heard. He couldn't see anything. He heard commotion. He heard that Jesus was walking by, you know, by, by the, on the road. And all of a sudden, what he started to do to scream? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what did people say? Be quiet, be quiet. You know what he did? He got louder. He got violently louder. Jesus! Sorry for the microphone. (laughs) But you know, when people were trying to hush him up, to try to get, get him to be subdued and quiet and be nice... You know what is Jesus going to think? No, he got violently. He got his attempt because he got violent. It it, it wasn't a violence. He got angry because no, I'm not going to be quiet. No, I'm not going to, you know, stay quiet and calm. No, there was something in him that caused him, you know, to, uh, to scream even more loudly. I mean, look at the woman with the issue of blood. I mean, here is that lady. She had, she had lost blood for 12 years. She lost all of her money. Doctor couldn't help her do anything, you know. But you see there was a violence in her. There was a tenacity. There was something in her. Because when the culture said, you know, a woman who, who is unclean, it's got to stay, you know, you cannot come in public. Well, she, she, she got angry at that. She said, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to, and if I can only touch him, I shall be made well. And when her body said, give up, give up, no, she didn't quit. I mean, she went on all fours, and she went against, I mean, the crowds here and there. There was a violence in her where she refused to accept. 
She refused to accept no for an answer. She refused to let the culture, the law, or her body of physical strength, she refused everything to, to stop her from getting what she wanted. You see that? that was, that's what I'm talking about. That's a spiritual violence. I mean, look at the four guys. You know, they were carrying a friend on the stretcher. They were violent. But you see, violence doesn't mean you get, ah! You know, you, you doesn't mean that you get angry at people or you scream or you, even though the blind man did, he got a, but he, he was getting attention. Jesus' attention, you understand. But the, when, the, when those four people were carrying the guy on a stretcher and they got at the door, you know what most Christians would have said? Must not be the will of God. Maybe another day. Maybe another time. You know that teaching about God's sovereignty? Well, if it's the will of God, it's going to happen. I hear that all the time. If it's the will of God, it will happen. Uh-uh. You know, when they got at the door and there was no room inside, you see, they refused to give up. That's uh, spiritual violence. They say, we cannot go through the door. Well, let's get up on the ceiling, on the, on the roof. And they dug a hole in the roof. That's a spiritual violence. That's what I'm talking about. And when you look all through the Bible, people that received their inheritance or received their miracle were people that were willing to come against the culture, against the law, against, you know, whatever hindrance, problem, and what was in front of them. They had to be violent on the inside. And so, but you see, to be violent, I, I, I looked at it, and I thought about it, and I discovered that to be violent involves, number one, having a strong conviction. Being violent means that you are so convinced, you are so persuaded of something. I mean, all of the, those people we talked about, the blind man, had a conviction that Jesus had the power to heal him. And he wouldn't let anything stop him. That woman with the issue of blood, the same thing. And all of those people that were violent because, number one, they had a strong conviction. Number two, they were angry. They had that anger, that, w that warning to stand up, to say no. That anger against the situation they were in. All of them... They had that in common, that they said, we not, I'm, not go I'm either going to swim or sink. I'm either going to get it or die. They're all of them, I'm not, and they had that attitude, I'm not willing to spend one more day in that same situation. Uh-uh. We're not going to settle for anything. And that's the number, third, the number three thing that I, I looked at. Number one, they had a strong conviction. Number two, they, they had that anger and angry at the situation. And number three, they had a tenacity. Number one, a strong conviction. Being absolutely convinced of what belonged to them. Number two, anger. A refusal to accept anything other than than the will of God, or the best, God's best. And number three, a ten tenacity, a willingness to fight and defend 
or obtain as long as it takes, for as long as it takes. A willingness to defend and fight for as long as it's necessary. So that means that all of us, you know, and I'm going to target it even in the area of healing. You know, because I meet a I see a lot of people that want to be healed. They're struggling with a sickness. They've struggled for a while with it. And they know a lot. But it's like they're still living with that thing. And it's like they can get rid of it. And most of the time it's because with that realizing we've become, we've accepted it. We become passive about it. And we're not violent against it. It's the violent that will take it by force. And I even like, you know, when in Mark, Mark 11, when Jesus talks about the prayer of faith, Mark 11, 24, I love that because he said, when you pray, you must believe that you receive it and you shall have it. The word receive here in the Greek, it also means to take. When you pray, you must believe that you take. Because we know it's already been given. But we know we've got an enemy that is not going to try to let us have it. So sometimes it's even beyond receiving. Sometimes it's being, I'm going to take it, it's mine. And I'm not going to let the devil take it from me. Amen? So a strong conviction. Let's look at every one of the things that we need to be violent in the spirit. We need a strong conviction. We find out, for example, Abraham. Let's go together to Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through 21, we're going to talk about the different aspect of being violent in the spirit. Because it's a violent that will take it by force. In Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through 21, it says that Abraham, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced or fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform it. We see here that Abraham was able to receive or get a hold of his promise. Amen. Abraham saw the fulfillment of the promise he got that manifestation why because he was he had a strong conviction but question how did he get that strong conviction it says it right before he was fully convinced it says before why because he did not consider his body already dead but what did he consider he considered the promise of god you see, how you get a strong conviction? How do you get a strong conviction? You've got to stop considering your circumstances or your body. And you've got to start considering the promise of God. That's how you know. You cannot have a strong conviction apart from knowing the will of God. And you cannot know the will of God apart from the word of God. You will never be fully 
persuaded or you'll never have a strong conviction apart from God's promise or God's word. Amen? Amen. But what does it mean? He said he, he considered not his body already dead, but he considered the promise of God. To consider, and that's what we've got to look at. It doesn't mean that he ignored his body or ignored the condition of Sarah's body. That's not what it means. It means he chose, chose to fix his attention, to fix his eyes and his attention on something instead of put it, fixing his attention on his symptoms or his body or the condition of Sarah. He chose to fix his eyes and his attention on God's promise. To consider is, here is the definition of to consider, is to fix one's mind and attention on something. To be fully convinced and persuaded, to have a, now here is the first step of getting violent. We are looking into it, is you're going to have to be fully, not just fully convinced, fully persuaded. And how are you going to be able to be fully persuaded and fully convinced? By stopping, stop looking at your problem, at your circumstances, at the you know, the, what the doctors say, at your, you know, pain. Stop looking at that and start looking, fixing your eyes, your attention on what God says. Now we've got here, you know, but you know what? It's, it's a, it sounds easy, doesn't it? But it's not. It's the hardest thing to do. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But there is a key. We have got, number one, to be fully persuaded, fully convinced. We have got an awesome, awesome example of that in Numbers 21. If you go there with me to Numbers 21. To give you a little background, the children of Israel, God took them out of Egypt. Amen. And now they're in the wilderness. And you know, you know all the miracles God did. Open the Red Sea, you know, rain the manna, open a rock. But they complain, you know, they're the complaining type. You know, they murmur, oh, we load that bread, oh, that bread again, oh. <laughs> and because of their complaining, and that gives us a little insight into something, that complaining will open the door to the snake. Yeah. And we know the big snake with a big S. Amen. And because they complained and complained, that opened the door, and there were thousands and thousands of venomous snake right there in the desert. I mean, they couldn't go anywhere. And I don't know if you've ever seen venomous snake. You don't want to be around. Amen. And now it's interesting, as soon as they got, you know, infested with thousands of, I don't know what type of snake they were. They were probably all kind of different snakes. But you know, it's interesting that all of a sudden, they, they, those snakes got between their legs. They could hear the, I mean, they started to get bit. 
And when they started to get bit, they just started to die like little, you know, like flies. And they cried out to God. And what did God tell them to do? He told Moses to take, to make a snake out of bronze and lifted it on a pole. And he lifted, he said, whoever will look upon that serpent on the pole made out of bronze will live. Now, is that interesting? Just a little, a little um, insight that a serpent on a pole is the symbol of pharmacy. Medical, you know, if you go next to a pharmacy, you'll oftentimes see like a little sign with a serpent on a pole. And that is the symbol. When you look at the story, it shows you that God, this is what God did, you know, asked Moses to do to provide healing, life and healing to the people of Israel. But I want to point something to you. I mean, Think about the situation. They were getting bit by snakes. Yes. Snakes were everywhere, right? And what is God telling them to do? God is telling them to take their eyes off of the snakes uh-huh. and put their eyes on the serpent of bronze. Now, here is the detail. Why did God ask Moses to make a serpent of bronze. In the Bible, for example, in the tabernacle, all the furniture that were made out of bronze in the outer court had to do with the judging of sin. Because all of the other furniture that had to do with the presence of God were in gold. But bronze is a symbol of judgment, of sin being judged. And so why is God said, make a serpent, which is a symbol of evil, of the devil, of sin, of sickness, and the works of the devil? Would you agree? When God said, make a serpent, which is a type of evil, make it out of bronze, it meant that, and lift it on a pole, it meant that on that pole, sin, sickness, evil was going to be judged. And it's interesting that God says, whoever will look. Now look, when we think look, we'll look like, you know, just like you look at your watch, like a quick little glance. The word look here in Hebrew is the word nabat, N-A-B-A-T, nabat. And it means to look with intensity, to fix your eyes and your attention on something. Like I'm fixing you, bro. I'm looking at you. I'm keeping my eyes on you and I'm not taking it off. That is what Nabat means. And so what is God telling Israel to do? They are getting bit. They are falling. They are, you know, hurting. They are afraid and scared. But God says, don't look at what's around you. Don't look or pay attention to the pain, to your body, to what you hear, to what you see, to what you feel going between your legs. Don't pay attention to that, but look to that serpent on a bronze lifted up. But I don't know about you. I mean, we say that, oh yeah. But I, I mean, how many of you have ever seen like a, a venomous insect or a spider, ladies? Or, you know, I don't know you guys what can scare you, but, you know, 
<laughs> a venomous snake would be enough, Bob, yeah. I remember when I was a kid. I was a kid. I was, I was afraid of spider and bugs and roaches. And I mean, I was afraid of it. And I remember I was very little and I was in bed and I went, I wanted to get up to go to the bathroom during the night and I look and there was a cockroach on the bottom, on the bottom of my bed. And I looked at it and I stayed all night looking at it <laughs> and I wouldn't move. And I could have hid myself at the morning when I saw that roach was dead. <laughs> friend of mine I was in her house and all of a sudden she saw a little mouse you know what she did she went on the, on the table as high as she could I mean and her eyes was on that little that little mouse that's what us you know what we want to do it's it's that's what we know you I mean they had snakes venomous snake sliding between their legs they could hear I mean, not just a little bit, thousands of them. Just picture that. And God is telling them, get your attention, your eyes off of that. That must have been pretty tough. But yet, God said, and that was the thing, whoever does that can arrive to get their attention off of what's around, what they can see, feel, the circumstances, the pain, the, the symptoms, the report of the doctor, the situation, the X, whatever is you're going through, and you can get your attention off that and put it on that snake of bronze lifted up, which you and I know in John, it tells us John 3. Verse 14 and 15, it tells us that Jesus, you know, everything that happened in the Old Testament, Colossians 2.17 says, is a type and a shadow of what Jesus would do for us. And we find out in John 3 verse 14, that as Moses lifted up the serpent of bronze in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. So whoever believes in him would not die, but have an everlasting life. That was that serpent of bronze was a type and a shadow of what Jesus would do for us. And you know, and we know that he was lifted up on the cross. And what happened on the cross? He was judged. Yes. He became sin for us. 1 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin for us. He became a curse, Galatians 3.13, for us. At that moment on the cross, he, he, he was like a lightning rod. He got, he took all the judgment, all the wrath of God, all the punishment for sin, he took it upon himself at that very moment. That's what John 12.31 tells us. He says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all unto me. And it's not talking in the Greek, it's not talking about all people. All people was added by the translator, but never was part of the, the Greek, the Greek translate Greek Bible. How do we know that? You know, in, in my, I like to use the New King James. In the New King James, when a word has been added by the translator, it's in italic. 
So in your New King James, when you see a word in italic, you know what that means? It's not part of the original Greek. And in that verse in John 12, 31, look at what it says. In my Bible, the word all people is in italic. That means it's not part of the Greek. John 12, in verse 31, he says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all. And people is in italic. All to myself. All what? What is it that he, yes, that he drew to himself as he was lifted up like the serpent of bronze that Moses lifted up in the desert? What is it that, that he, he drew to himself? All judgment, all wrath, all curse. He took it upon himself. He became that brazen serpent. But you know what that shows us? That shows us what you and I need to do when we are faced with sickness, problem, or any kind of situation, trials and problems. Because if the children of Israel in the desert could receive healing, could receive life by looking at a serpent made out of bronze, lifted up on a pole, how much more when you and I, we look unto what Jesus what he did on the cross, and remember how we've got to do it. It's not a quick glance. That's what most Christians, right. they think, oh, yeah, I'm fully convinced. Yeah, they looked at their Bible five minutes. Yes. They cannot be fully convinced and persuaded. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Because the Bible to to shows us that we've got to consider not our body, not our circumstances, but consider the promise of God, or consider the serpent, the brazen serpent, or for us, we've got to consider Jesus on the cross, what he did on the cross. And consider means not a quick glance, but it means setting our gaze, setting our attention, fixing our energy, our attention, our whole being onto what Jesus did. And we do it. That means that's going to demand a certain violence, determination from our part. That's where a lot of time people, they are going through all kind of stuff and they think in just one few little minutes in the word, mm -mm. remember number one, you've got to be fully persuaded, fully convinced. And we become fully convinced, fully persuaded, how? By fixing our attention like the children of Israel fixed their attention on the serpent made out of bronze in the desert. We've got to do the same thing with the Son of God. Because listen to what the Word of God say. Hebrew 12.2. In Hebrew 12.2, he said that Jesus, we've got to be looking unto, looking unto, looking unto Jesus. You see, that's what I'm talking about. Looking unto Jesus, what he did on the cross. And we know Jesus is the word made flesh. You can be looking at the promises of God, looking at the word of God. Amen. And that's where is the author and the finisher of your faith. That's how you will become fully convinced and fully persuaded.
You see what I'm talking about? That demands a certain, that's what, that demands a certain violence. That's what I'm talking Violence doesn't mean just doing anything and, and, and being aggressive. It means violently getting a hold of the word of God so that you can become fully persuaded. Hallelujah. Roman 8, 6. Roman 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I like it in the message. Listen to what it says. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. <laughs> but attention to God leads us into a spacious, spacious, free life. It's saying the same thing. What you consider, what you fix your attention, your, what you fix your energy on, it's either going to produce life or it's going to produce death. If you look, you know, at yourself, at your body, your circumstance, your situation, your symptoms, your, you know, here is the problem when people, I'm talking about sickness, when people get some symptoms in their body and they start, you know, struggling with something, you know what they, they do? They go Google. Yeah. They go Google. <laughs> they go Google to find out everything about it. What's my problem? How it's going to evolve? What's the yeah. symptoms? What's going to happen in six months? You know what they're doing? They're considering yes. the serpent in the desert. They're becoming fully persuaded. They're focusing their attention on the problem. But the word of God says you've got to focus your attention on the solution, which is Jesus. Right. What he did on the cross. Amen. And once you look at what Jesus, you know, it's all about Jesus, really, what he did on the cross. And when you fix your attention and you're violent about it, and you said, I'm going to become fully persuaded, fully conv convinced. Amen. And you, it's going to create faith in your heart. Because Jesus is always the author and the finisher of your faith. And you know what faith is? Faith is being fully persuaded of something you cannot see. Amen. That's, the, that's the definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things we hope for, the conviction of things we cannot see. Yeah. Being fully persuaded. So that's what we need. Number one, we've got to take our eyes off us and put it, amen, on the promise, on the word of God, the promise of God. Listen to what Proverbs 4, verse 20, 22 say. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Here again. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Pretty much we've been saying the same thing from different people. David, Paul, Jesus, they've all said the same thing. Moses, hallelujah. We've got to be, and it, 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 here again, I'm talking about the violent will take it by force. To get to that place will take violence. Yeah. 
because we are in the world where we get so distracted, we get bombarded, distracted, and it means it's gonna, we're going to have to violently get a hold of the promise of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Everybody's doing good? We're going to be violent and take it by force. Because that's the, you know, that's the foundation right there, becoming fully persuaded, becoming completely convinced. And how we do we, how do we happen to do that? By what we consider, by what we consider. And consider it's setting your attention, full your energy on something. Amen. Hallelujah. And listen to this in Second Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. You see, while you focus on God, on his character, his faithfulness, on his word, his promises, something's going to happen, we say, in you. Faith will be, you know, stirred up on the inside of you. But I like what 2 Corinthians says here. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And the weight of glory, what is it? It's God's manifested presence. But listen to that. While... We do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. What is it saying here? That our affliction, whatever it is we're going through, is going to work an exceeding far weight of glory? How? While we look, not at what is we can see our circumstances, not what we can feel our symptoms, but what we look at what is not seen. And what is it that is not seen? The promise of God, Jesus, the work of redemption. You know, that's, that's what happens when you look at what Jesus did on the cross and you fix your attention, something is going on on the inside of you. You can't even tell. But faith is being worked out. The, the grace of God is being released. Amen. And it's working something in you so it can work something through you so it can work something around you. Amen. Hallelujah. Then we saw the number, the second thing. We said the violent take it by force. Violence means we have a strong conviction. We saw that violence... It's got to be motivated by anger. Of course, when we talk about anger, we always think it's a bad thing. It's a negative thing, you know. And, I, and, and we think, no, it's, it's a sin. To be angry is a sin. Well, we got to look at it. Because here is the problem that I see because most people have ceased, have stopped being angry and they always see anger as a negative thing, it, they, it makes them passive. Because when you stop getting angry at something, you start accepting it. When you start, accept, when you start tolerating it, you accept it, and what you accept will dominate you. 
And so we've got to find out that the violent take it by force. That means we've got to have to be motivated by anger. We're going to have to learn to get angry again. Don't look at me so innocent. <laughs> what does the Bible say? Romans 12, 9. Hate what is evil. Yes. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Hate. Hate. H-A-T-E. And we, we think, well, hate is a bad thing. We should never hate. We should never be angry. That's not what the Bible teaches. It, it tells us, it commands us to hate evil, to hate what is evil. Amen? Well, you know how we can learn to hate evil? To see where it comes from. I mean, I'm talking about sickness, for example. Poverty, sickness, lack, etc., etc. When you see where it's coming from, it's going to start making you angry against it. Amen? Romans 5.12, what does it say? Because here we make, you know, we think, you know, we know we're supposed to hate. When we think evil, we think sin. We hate sin. We know that, right? right, yeah. right. Are you alive tonight? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> when we think about hating evil, we think only hating sin. But for example, sickness. Do you know how sickness got into the world? Because most people, they'll hate sin, but sickness, we've learned to live with it. We learn to tolerate it and accept it. We learn to live and manage our life around it. We learn to cope with it. Don't look at me so holy. But it's true. We learn many ways on how we can manage our life around that sickness and manage it and accept it and deal with it. Do you know what that means? That we've stopped somewhere, we start getting angry at it. But when we see how sickness, where it started, you know, in Romans 5.12, it says that sin, when sin entered the world, when sin entered the world and through sin, death entered into the world. And thus death spread to all men because all sin. Well, you say, no, he's talking about death. Well, you know sickness is a form of death. Poverty, lack, is a form of death. You know what that says? It says that when sin got into the world, at the same, it opened the door to death, which we know is spiritual death, right? But spiritual death, what did, what did it do? It opened the door to corruption, to poverty, to sickness, and every form of death. So indirectly, death, sickness, poverty, all the works of the devil entered when sin entered. Why is it that we can hate sin, but tolerate sickness, tolerate lack, tolerate all the works of the devil? That should not be. Because question, how does God see, how does he look at sin? When God thinks about or looks at sin, what does he think about it? Does he tolerate it? No. Does he accept it? No. Does he like it? No. 
God hates it. Yeah. Do you agree? God hates sin. Yeah. But if sickness and lack and corruption entered when sin got in, that tells us that God looks at lack and he looks at sickness and he looks at all the other stuff just like he looks at sin. For him, they're one and the same. They're brothers, sisters, cousin, and part of the same family. That means that you and I, we're going to have to learn to look at sickness, at lack, and all the, all the stuff like we look at sin, like God looks at it. We've got to start looking at it like we've been taught to look at sin. Yes. We look at sin as an enemy. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, we've got to start looking at sickness and lack like an enemy. And what does the Bible say, you know? Because people think, well, you know, sometimes God used sickness or God used lack or God used trials to perfect our faith. Yeah. Right. Well, not in this place tonight, I hope nobody's. But just in case, yeah. I mean, when you think that all of that got in when sin got into the world, you know, and sickness, lack, and corruption, and all of that, it's a form of death. What does God say about it? 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says that death is an enemy of God. So therefore, you know what that means? If death is an enemy of God, sickness is an enemy of God, just like sin is. Lack is an enemy of God, just like sin is. Sickness, lack, etc. The enemies of God. And we've got to start looking at it this way. Amen. Amen. I like it because God calls sickness and lack and all that. He calls it a curse. Never a blessing. Deuteronomy 28. Because I see people, you know, not long ago, you know, people said, well, you know, I've been taught that sickness is sometimes a blessing. Or, you know, lack is sometimes a blessing that God uses it to work, a, you know, work in our heart. Well, it's interesting because in my Bible, Deuteronomy 28, God himself calls sickness, lack, everything else, calls it a curse. So that means that we should see it and call it the same just like God calls it. Amen. Jesus called it a works of the devil in Luke 13. You remember when there was a woman that was bent over for 18 years in the synagogue and Jesus healed the woman, right? Mm -hmm. And what did Jesus say? He said, are not this woman a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound these 18 years? Should, should, should not she be free tonight? So Jesus called sickness or death or the works of the devil. He calls it a works of the devil. And I like Dr. Luke in Acts 10.38. Dr. Luke, we're talking about sickness now. He calls, he said, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power who went doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. I mean a doctor, medical doctor. I like that doctor. <laughs> Don't you? A doctor is calling sickness the work of the devil, or that somebody is under the empire, of, uh, uh, under the control of the devil. 
So we've got to start looking at sickness and trials and all of that. We've got to start looking at it and hating it. We've got to start looking at it and hating it. And here is something just for your information. The devil, I'm talking about being violent on the inside. We've got to learn to get angry at what the devil does to us. And for example, sickness. He works with sickness exactly the same way that he works with, with sin. Didn't you know that? He will work exactly the same way with sickness like he does with sin. We're talking about hating sickness like we hate sin. How does God or how does the devil work with sin in your life? How, what does he do to get you to sin, Mark? A temptation, right? Temptation. That's what the devil d does. If he wants to make you sin, he'll bring a temptation, right? Question, when you are being tempted, have you already sinned? No. You have not. When does that temptation become sin? You start thinking about it and then you do it. When you start thinking about it, you start acting on it. In another word, when you start submitting to it, when you start dwelling on it, get your eyes on it, you start submitting yourself, accepting it, then that temptation gives birth, according to James, to sin. Can I suggest to you that the devil will work with sickness the exact same way? How does he do it? Symptoms yeah. are to sickness what temptation is to sin. Symptom is to sickness what temptation is to sin. In order to get you sick, the devil will have, will have to get your permission. He will have to get you to accept just like you have to accept the, the, the temptation to commit sin, you have to accept the symptoms to become sick. But here's the problem most of the people today, we've been lied to. We understand temptation. When a temptation comes, we know we're supposed to resist it. But most people, what happens when the symptom comes and knocks at your door, most people accept it and they say oh I'm sick by saying I'm sick what have they just done they've submitted themselves they've accepted the symptom and that's at that moment by submitting themselves to the symptom they gave birth to the sickness but you know what the good news about it the good news is just like, here's a question, can the devil force you to, to, to sin? No. You know, the devil made me do it? No. Can the devil make you do anything? No. Boy, well, the good news, just like the devil cannot make you, can you make you sin, cannot force you to sin in the same way, he cannot force you to be sick. Why? Because in order for you to sin, You've got to submit to the temptation. For you to be sick, it means you've got to accept it and submit yourself and give him your permission. 
You've got to, you know, we, we, we give permission to sickness. How? By accepting the symptom. But that shows us something that we have got to learn to get angry and we've got to learn to be violent on the inside against what the devil throws at us. And just like we've been taught that we've got to resist temptation, we've got to learn to resist the symptoms. Yeah. Or we've got to learn to resist whatever it is the devil throws. You're not powerless at the mercy of the devil. The devil cannot make you anything, cannot force you into anything, and he cannot force you to be sick. But what does this mean? It means that at the first signs of the symptoms, when the thief comes and knocks at your door, what are you supposed to do? When you open the door, you have got to make a choice right at the first sign of the symptoms to rise up on the inside and get violent on the inside and say, no, thief, you don't come in. And let me say something. It's easier to get rid of the thief when he's just knocking at the door and you crack the door open. It's harder when you let the thief in your house, he's sitting on your couch and the feet right there on the table. Now it's not impossible, it just means it's gonna be a little harder to get him out. You understand what I'm saying? With the sickness, when you let the, when you accepted the symptoms, and you said, well, I'm sick, and you gave it permission? Well, sickness now has the right, you've given it permission, has the right to get in your body. Because here is the thing. Thank you, Lord. Because people say, why did God allow this? Why did God allow that sickness in my life? Why did God allow this tragedy in my life? Why did God allow this or that? Here is the truth. God is not allowing anything. We are. Because in the kingdom of God, Matthew 16 verse 19 says, Jesus told Matthew, he said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. What do you do with keys? You lock, you open. You lock, you open. Right? And Jesus says, I give you the keys of the kingdom to open and to lock. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here, let me tell you in modern day English. I give you the keys to open and close doors. Whatever you allow here on earth will have to be allowed in the spirit realm. Whatever you forbid here on earth will have to be forbidden in the spirit realm. So if sickness got into your body, it is not that God allowed it. It is that we here allowed it. And in the spirit realm, God has to allow it. The devil got permission. We gave it to him. But how does it, because he works by permission, just like he's got to have your permission to make you sin. He cannot force you to do anything. In the same way, he's got to have your permission to make you sick, to make you poor, to make you depressed, to make you fill in the blank. He cannot force you to be depressed. Somewhere you chose, you gave permission. 
And how does he obtain our permission? How does he obtain our permission? Because of course we're not going to give it to him consciously. We're not going to do it. We're going to, I mean, he's a, he, he's, he knows, yeah, he's settled. He knows how to, you know, to deceive us, to masquerade. He knows how to obtain our permission without us even knowing it. Number one, through the words we speak. Because Mark 11, 23, Jesus said, more or less, you will have what you say. So it is, I mean, this is how you exercise authority. This is how Jesus exercised authority. You remember the centurion said, Jesus, don't come to my house, only speak the word. For I am a man under authority. And I say, do this and they do, come and they come, go and they go. You see, authority is exercised through our words. We give permission through our words. Like, for example, when people say, well, you know, if I get in a room and there is a virus, I'll get it. You got it. You know, by saying that, even you've given by your own word, you've opened the door. You've used your key to, bam, open the door. And, 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 but it's interesting, we, sometimes we don't realize through our conversation, you know, some things we say, like I was just sharing with, with my husband that I pray, you know, I pray often for my sisters, for my family, and, and you know, and I pray that, you know, the Holy Ghost would work upon their heart, draw them to the Father, that their eyes would be open, that they would see the truth, that God would send laborers. But then when people ask me oftentimes, you know, is your family saved? Is your sister saved? Sometimes, w- you know, I'll say, well, you know, they're walking, you know, they walked away. I mean, I will say things. And this morning, as I was praying for my family, the Holy Ghost reminded me, said, Audrey, you're praying for your family, but when people ask you if your family is saved, you are shutting the door. You are annulling what you've, through your, by what you say, you are canceling what you are praying. You see, because you exercise authority, not just when you, speak to the mountain and command it to be removed. All through the day, through our words, through our conversation, we exercise authority. We open doors, we close doors. So I had to repent this morning. I said, Lord, I am so sorry. Thank you for showing me. For you, I mean, I've been praying for my sister and you know, every time people would ask me, I would say, well, I said, I'm gonna have to change what I say. I'm gonna have to start to say, well, my sisters, they're coming to the Lord. They're on their way. They're on their way. Hallelujah. Yeah. You, see, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. By the words that we say, we can open doors, close doors. And I'm going to tell also, I might, he won't mind that I say that. But what? But watch out. No, no. Um, but uh, uh, a month or so, a month and a half ago, Fred's secretary was sick as a dog. She was like, she had like one of those sickness. I mean, for three weeks she was sick. And so Fred says, I'm not going into the office. I'll talk to her by phone. So he wouldn't go to the office. And then after a few weeks, you know, by the end he's like, well, okay. 
you know, I, it's safe now, so he went into the office. Well, two days later, he comes, I mean, <laughs> he started to get sick. Well, we prayed for him, and instead of taking him three weeks, it took him three days. Right. That's pretty cool. But then something happened. All of a sudden, I found myself sneezing. Ouch, yep. ouch, coughing. And you know my husband, he said, you getting what I got? <laughs> you getting what I got? <laughs> and he, he must have asked me. He didn't realize that. And I know he, he was wanting to see if I'm doing okay. He must have asked me. Oh, he must have asked me, I don't know how many times, six or seven times. And every time, it was just like the Holy Ghost was saying, watch what you say. So I kept on saying, oh, I'm fine. All is well. I'm doing good. Mm -mm, no, it's, okay. it's all good. And I would sneeze and I would start, like, you're getting what I'm getting. <laughs> I said, no, oh, I'm fine. What am I saying that about? That you see? If I, if I had said, well, I'm one, I probably am. Bam, I would have opened. And you know, I, I, I wrestled with those symptoms for, you know, for a day. But then, puff, it didn't, you know, it left. You see what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Without words. But now here is the key. How is the devil, how is the devil going to get us to say certain things, to give permission with our words? How is he going to get us to say things? Like I just said, for example, through a loved one. He's going to say, you're going to get it. You're getting it. You're getting it. No. Hallelujah. But how is the devil... How is the devil? I was sweet to him. I didn't go get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I, I was sweet to him. I just said, nope, all is well. I'm good. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But how, how is the devil going to get us to give him permission to say things to open the door? I, now, here is something we know. This is the reason, I don't know if you paid attention, you know, we are bombarded with, in, with unbelief, sickness, death. I mean, you cannot even watch a cooking show yeah. or a remodeling show, which you would think it's kind of safe, with that in, intermission being trying to sell you for pills for hypertension or this for diabetes or this for that for arthritis or this for, I mean, they are throwing it at you yeah. all day long. And so what is, what, is this, what is the strategy? By the devil bombarding what you see, what you hear, you know, if you expose yourself to that, it gets into your heart. And Jesus says, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. So what the strategy of the devil is, is to get you exposed, to hear, to see death, unbelief, sickness, lack, panic, I mean, all kind of junk. He tried to fill our eyes, our ears with all that, that, that crud so that it can get into our heart. And if we look at it, hear it, listen to it long enough, you know, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth will speak. And when our mouth speaks, we open a door. You know, we give permission through the words that we speak 
or the word that somebody else speaks to us. Remember, authority is exercised with words. Isaiah 54 verse 17. Isaiah 54 verse 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you, that's right, sister, you shall condemn. Now here is an interesting. It says that when a word is raised against you in judgment, we have to condemn it. Because if we don't condemn that word, it becomes a weapon formed against you. Example, you go to the doctor and the doctor start checking, you know, asking you question, history. Do you have any cancer in your family? Yeah, my grandfather. Anybody else? Well, my father. How about your brother? You have a bro yeah, my brother. Well, let me tell you, you probably have 85% chance to get. At that moment, the doctor is speaking a word. It's a word of judgment against you. But what will most people do? They listen to it. They won't say anything. And at that moment, what will happen? It will become a weapon formed against you. So what do we have to do? You see, and that demands we're talking about the violent take it by force. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be convenient. It's going to feel like you are doing yourself violence. But you have at that moment to cancel to annul that word. And you don't have to be, you know, mad, rude, or, you know, brash. You can just say, doctor, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> I know you're doing your job. I appreciate it, but I'm under a different law. The go God lives in me, and I'm a child of God, and he keeps me in good health. You know what I mean? But at that moment, because the temptation, remember, that's what we've been taught, taught, the sentiment of this generation. The strategy of the devil is to render us passive, render us subdued, render us silent to be politically correct. You don't want to offend anybody. And so we've just... Something is spoken against us or to us and we just don't say anything. No, no, we've got at that moment to open our mouth and cancel it, yep. annul it, or it becomes a weapon formed against us and it becomes an open door. Because here is the key. You think, well, I, I won't say anything. I won't just accept it. There is no, you see, if we remain passive and silent, by default, we give permission. That's what happened to Adam. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, when he heard the devil speak to Eve, and Eve spoke to the, 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 the devil. Where was Adam? He was just next, next to her. He heard, he saw, what did he do? Nothing. And by doing nothing, what happened? He gave over permission and his authority to the devil. Because in, in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, the devil himself said it when being tempted, when he tempted Jesus. He said, if you worship me, I'll give you the kingdom, the glory, for these have been delivered to me. By who? By Adam. How? Because he remained passive. You see, there is no neutral in the kingdom of God. There is no neutral doesn't exist. If you think you're in neutral, you, you're backing out. you 
So that means that we've got to learn. We've got to learn to be, to rise up on the inside, stand up on the inside. Hallelujah. And we're going to have to speak out and say no. Because if we don't, we give permission to the devil. By remaining passive, silent, we give him, we open the door. We, we give him permission to do what he wants to do. Amen. Hallelujah. We've got to learn to be angry. Here is a, a, a really good testimony. It's a... How do you want to do that? Should I stop now or should I... Another five minutes and we take a break or... Um, I would need I would need probably ten minutes. How is everybody doing? We keep okay, because otherwise we'll just. Is it okay, everybody? Oh yeah, okay, okay. Just want to double check. Amen. Um, Talking about getting angry, we've got to open our mouth and say, and we've got to be, and you, you know that scripture, uh, that when the, we were talking about canceling whatever something is spoken to us. We've got to speak and cancel it. And I remember I was sharing those teaching with a friend of mine, and she went back to Orlando and started to share those teaching with her group. They had a study Bible group, and in that group there was a couple. Um, and God had spoken to them that they were going to have a fourth, another child, fourth, fourth baby. And so soon after that, uh, she got pregnant. So of course I went to the doctor and the doctor did a sonogram and everything. And of course the doctor said, you know, she said, she said that child, she said, I've been doing it for a long time. That child is going to be, you know, trisomical down syndrome, you know. And because um, in Europe, in France, you are not allowed to, to say Down syndrome anymore. It's another word, you know. But, um, and so, but you know what the father, when he heard the, the, sim, the, the diagnosis, he opened his mouth. Yeah, man. And he said, doctor, thank you, but no thank you. Amen. God gave me that child, and that child is going to be born perfect. Amen. And that went on for, you know, the, for the nine... That went on for a while where the doctor kept on saying, you know, I have been at it for 40 years and I can tell you for 99% that child is going to be, you know. Well, thank God when that child was born, he was totally, Amen. totally healthy, you know. Even the, the nurses looked at him and says, that child is perfect. We give him a 10 score, you know. Hallelujah. So we've got to learn to be violent against you know, words spoken against us. Amen. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. If you go there with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. And I know in some versions he said, if you are hung ang angry. That's not what the, the Greek test. In the Greek, it says, be angry. It's a command. Be angry and sin not. It's actually... 
Here Paul is making a reference to a verse in Psalm chapter 4, 4, 4. In verse, in Psalm 4, 4, it says, be angry and sin not. And in look at the context, he was talking about being angry against evil, angry against injustice, unrighteousness, and evil. And so here Paul is actually making a reference to the Psalm. And he says, be angry and sin not. Now, we always see anger, like I said, as a negative thing, as a sin. But why is it that here it says it's commanding us to be angry? Be angry. Why? And sin not. Why? Because there is a type of anger that is not sin. There is a type of anger that is a holy, righteous anger. You remember when Jesus was in the temple? And he went and he cleaned up. He made whips. He was angry. Yes. But he didn't sin. Or oh, listen to that verse. I love it. In Mark chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, when Jesus healed a, on the Sabbath day, he said, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good and to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, Jesus was angry when he looked at them with anger. It was what type of anger? An anger against evil. When in Matthew 17, when the disciple couldn't heal the little boy of epilepsy, Jesus said, was angry and says, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Amen. Amen. So there is a anger that is a righteous, holy anger. That, and, but here you notice the Bible, Paul commands us, Paul commands us to be angry. He says, be angry, but don't sin. You see, if it's an anger against people, then we sin. Yeah. But there's an anger against evil that you and I must keep, must develop. And he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What does it mean? Don't lose that type of anger. Don't ever lose that type of anger. Why? Because if you lose that type of anger, the next verse says, nor give place to the devil. The moment you stop being angry at evil, the moment you stop being angry at sickness or at whatever situation at lack, the moment you stop being angry at it, you give it place. What you tolerate, you'll accept. What you'll accept will dominate. Amen. He says, be angry and sin not. Do, not. do not lose that kind of anger. Don't let the sun come down on your anger, nor give place to the devil. Hallelujah. And you know, that means that we've got to learn to cultivate that type of anger. You know, that's what we see what's happening these days. They shove, they, you know, they, they put things, homosexuality and this and that, to make us to accept it. And when you accept it, you tolerate it. And then all of a sudden, you stop being angry at it. You stop, you know. And so, we've got to be violent and learn to be angry. Have that righteous anger against sin, against sickness, against all the works of the devil. And you see that, that some of that message, that part came out of... Um, a testimony, and I will close in with that. But um, I was in—I was actually in France, 
a few years ago, two or three years ago, and I was doing a businessman, a businessman, you know, meeting. And uh, they brought to me a woman who was in a wheelchair. And um, she not only was paralyzed, but she was depressed. She was, you know, her life was, nothing was going well. And when they brought her to me, you know, the temptation is one to pray for the person and then jerk them out of the wheelchair and say, you know, walk, you know, be well and walk. But as I approached her and started to talk to her, what had happened is her husband had beat her up so bad that her back broke and severed a, a, a nerve, you know, in the spine. And so she was paralyzed. And the doctor said, you will remain paralyzed for the rest of your life. Nothing we can do for you. And um, <clears throat> when they brought her to me, I, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and he says, with her, he said, don't try to pray for her and take her out of the wheelchair. Say, with her, it's going to be progressive. And then this is what the Holy Ghost says. He says, she will have to learn to stand up on the inside before she can stand up on the outside. And when the Holy Ghost said that to me, I knew what he meant. And so what did I do at that moment? I started to minister to her within those lines. I started to tell her, to teach her how to get angry, how to get violent. And I started to teach her how to get violent and how to, to stand up on the inside against this condition. Not to accept it, but to rebel against it to revolt against it. And then after I taught her, you know, about that, then I, I taught her about how to violate, to, to take it by force. And, and I said, in your, in your, it, it might be a process with you, but you're going to have to take it back little by little. It means you're going to have to violently, you know, talk to your body and tell your body to line up to the word of God, and you're going to take ground little by little. Well, long story short, that lady sent me an email two or three months after I had prayed for her. And uh, she told me, she said, Audrey, she said, I'm not walking yet. But she said, there is progress. She said, now I understand. She said, my toes are moving. My toes are starting to move. I said, because I learned, I understood how to get angry against this. I had to refuse to accept it and how to learn to violent, to fight for it and, 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 and to be tenacious about it. And then one year after, from the day I prayed for her, I was back in the same city, but now I was in a different church. And uh, I'm... There was a lot of people, and I see a woman sitting on the right here, and she was beautiful with a big smile, and she looked kind of familiar, but I didn't know she was. And at the end of the service, she came walking towards me with a big smile, and she said, you recognize me? I'm like, yes, but no. You know, and she said, I'm the lady in the wheelchair you prayed for. And she explained to me what happened, that she first got angry on the inside. She refused to accept it. And she violently, you know, got revolted against it, stood up against it. And then she, little by little, she took it by force. She was violent. She told her body, you know, and, and, and so she, she, she was, and she told me, she said, I got, now I have a job. 
she could walk, she has a job, and she was getting ready to get a driver's license, you know. And so that same message about the violent take it by force, it means that we've got to learn to get angry against whatever, you know, the devil is doing. We accept, you know, things. And every time I've preached it, I have seen people that saw it, heard it, accepted it, and stood up on the inside and got a hold of their miracles. Another, I was in Quebec, there was another lady. She had had a, a stroke, so one side of her body was paralyzed. And not only that, but she was in pain. You know, she was in so much pain. And the, the pastor told her, I was in Quebec, the pastor told her, you know, you need to come to the church. Audrey is going to come and preach on healing. You need to come. She said, Pastor, I can. I'm in pain. I'm in bed. I can't even move. I'm, you know, I can't. So the pastor said, don't worry. We'll come and pick you up. We'll put you on a stretcher. So they had her on the back of the church on the stretcher. And she was kind of embarrassed. So she had a sheet, you know, up to, you know, right here. She didn't want people to see her like that. And I pre that, that night I preached that message about, you know, getting angry on the inside and not accepting the sickness. Well, at the end of the, 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 the message, I see the she just flying off and things moving on the back. And it's kind of like a theater style kind of auditorium. So I went there, you know, to and I, and I see her getting out of the bed and starting to kind of wobble around. And so I'm wanting to go and help her and pick her up. And she said, no, no, don't help me, don't help me. She said, I'm gonna walk. She said, I got so mad on the inside. She was so upset on the inside that she just went. Within two hours, then she went to lunch with us. By the end of the lunch, two hours, she was healed. You know, I mean, and that's the thing. The violent will take it by force. Once we understand that if we stay passive and we accept and we learn, what we learn to accept, we'll have to learn to live with it. And sometimes it means we've got to be violent on the inside to say, I am not going to spend one more day with that stuff. I'm sick and tired of it. Right.